Welcome to the Keep Cool Show, the podcast in which we cover how cutting-edge climate technologies connect to the world in which we live. I'm your host, Nick Van Osdal. So fundamentally, any AI system, including these, the developments are the product of two key factors. There's the improvements in algorithms. In particular, there's the transformer architecture that's enabling a lot of these large language models. We also use this at Chemex for other applications, but also the available massive amounts of data and then the computing resources needed to train the models on the data. So it's really algorithms plus data, right? That's AI. You need both. If you just have one, it's not going to happen. Recently, algorithms have gotten very good for these language models, but I think people have been sort of, yeah, not as quick to realize the importance of data, um, but this is becoming more widely appreciated. And so I think we're actually going to see a bunch of companies doing like AI for X, right? And they're going to take some of these large language models or other AI technologies and then fine tune them on proprietary application specific data sets of X uh, so that their models can be used to answer questions about X. Could be healthcare, could be law, specific scientific fields or areas of technology and, you know, even batteries. And so it's really the data that's holding these applications back. And so what we're doing at Chemex, as I mentioned, is kind of designing the experimental systems and experimental approaches from the ground up to generate this lots of high quality data. So that's really quite different from adding AI on as a sort of something slapped on on top, but really, you know, designing the processes for this application for day one. And I mean, if you think about battery data, what does it look like? It's extremely high dimensional. That's the thing. There's a huge number of, of inputs, right? There's, you know, precise combinations of materials that are being used. There's precise recipes for how to mix them and how to process them. And then there's a huge number of these outputs I mentioned, which are the performance metrics. How fast can you charge it? How many times can you charge it and discharge it before it runs out of, um, before it degrades too much? And so mapping out, you know, generating data sets that actually allow you to answer some of these questions requires recording an enormous number of factors, keeping very tight control over the experimental conditions and really just recording everything, which is really quite different from how a human-based battery development process works, where a lot of the information is sort of intuitively just in someone's head. All right, Jason, welcome to the Keep Cool Show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. So I always like to start by getting our listeners oriented to, you know, your career trajectory or how you developed interest in what you're working on now. So why don't you just give us a little bit of the background on how you got to working at the intersection of batteries and also using AI to do so? Sure. Yeah, perhaps had a bit of an unconventional path. Actually, Maybe starting back even in high school, I was really interested in electronics. I built a lot of my own electronic circuits. I made lasers by hand. I was really kind of into making things and even thinking about what, you know, starting a company might look like back then, but sort of very informally. Um, And I really enjoyed that kind of stuff. But towards the end of high school, I got really into physics and I actually majored in in physics. Um, I did a PhD in theoretical physics and I actually worked on quantum gravity, which is the project of combining general relativity with quantum field theory. I worked on proving various concepts about space-time and black holes, which seems very unrelated. (laughs) But I started to get quite dissatisfied with theoretical physics academia. I just felt like I wasn't having an impact. Mm. I sort of, the problems were very interesting to think about and to work on, but I just didn't feel this sense of urgency. I didn't feel like, you know, if we solve this problem today or next year, it's like way more impactful than solving it in even a hundred years, right? I wanted to work on something that was going to be more immediately impactful. And I started really just casting a, a wide net thinking about what would be really important to work on. After I narrowed down into climate tech, and after spending a solid few months surveying kind of the state of the field, it seemed like for someone like myself with a technical background, it seemed like energy storage was a really important problem. Um, obviously, there's a ton of work to be done on 
finance and policy and all of this. But for technical, a place where a technical solution is needed, it seemed like energy storage was really key. Um, so I dove into learning, well, about a number of technologies, but in particular about batteries. And uh, I joined a startup working on lithium metal batteries. I sort of like to say I got mm -hmm. my second PhD uh, there. <laughs> and I started out actually as an experimentalist, but quickly found my stride kind of doing software and data analytics there. And I wanted to continue with software. And I'd been exploring machine learning a bit here and there. Actually, some of my friends from physics um, had been starting to go into AI research because there's actually a lot of connections and the mathematical grounding is very similar between theoretical physics and AI research. Interesting. Um, and I, yeah, I thought this was a super interesting kind of, you know, field that was opening up, but I really wanted to keep focused on the problems that I cared most about. And I was starting to wonder, you know, if, it, if there's any way we could use machine learning to really help solve more pressing challenges like the battery problem. So I joined a software company, which is working on some of these problems, basically using data science and statistical modeling uh, for materials and chemicals R&D, not focused on batteries and kind of encountered, you know, a common problem when trying to apply AI to chemistry and material science is really a lack of high quality data. A material scientist or a chemist, you know, collects a certain kind of data in a certain way when they're doing experiments. For example, writing things in a lab notebook, using a spreadsheet, but this is really a far cry from the kind of data you'd really like to train AI on. And so I started to think very seriously about, okay, what it would look like to basically optimize this entire process where you develop an experimental process, which would be designed to produce lots of high quality data of the type you need for AI, and similarly optimize the AI algorithms themselves to the type of problem you're solving. For example, the battery problem is actually different than designing, you know, other kinds of materials for various reasons. For sure. And so that's kind of where where this whole thing came from: batteries, AI, and this is eventually what what led to <laughs> led to Chemex. Nice, yeah. Theoretical physics thrown in the mix. Good stuff. <laughs> A lot of really interesting things in there. I am, um, yeah. I mean, I just want to start by kind of highlighting that I also feel like energy storage is one of the more critical hardware areas for folks to be focusing on now, whether that is for transportation and building better batteries for EVs or for, you know, utility scale power generation and making sure that kind of have that energy storage piece to unblock and really fullerize the next leg of renewable energy deployment. So appreciate the fact that folks like you are thinking hard about it. Yeah, let's get folks kind of up to speed on Chemex specifically now. What's the 60 to 90 seconds on the business? And then we can go deeper from there. Sure. So Chemex's mission is really to accelerate battery development and commercialization for electric vehicles. Um, so batteries are, you know, still the key bottleneck for widespread EV adoption. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of different types of EV use cases. There's, of course, passenger EVs, but there's sports cars, there's trucks, there's two wheelers, electric school buses, you name it. Yeah. Yeah. Even aircraft. And there's really no one size fits all battery for each of these applications. You know, intuitively, you wouldn't really expect that the battery that you would use in like a mass market car is the same one you'd use in some high-performance sports car or some kind of motorcycle. Each application really has unique requirements. I mean, there's cost, there's range, there's charging time, there's volume and weight constraints, there's heat generation, lifetime, safety, there's a whole number of things. Mm -hmm. And so at Chemex, we really address this problem of optimizing and designing batteries for specific use cases by automating much of the battery design and development process using AI, mm -hmm. which really helps speed things up helps us make sense of this sort of very complex, you know, input to output optimization problem that we have to map out. And ultimately, lets our customers build the electric vehicles that they want to build and be less limited by battery technology. Awesome. Yeah. We'd love to go deeper on kind of the how of how that works. I think you already said something really important earlier, which I've picked up in, on in conversations with, with you and other folks using AI for climate applications. But there's so much hype around AI right now. And you see a lot of companies 
appending AI enabled to their tagline or, or slapping AI on top of an existing product. But I think a lot of the exciting unlocks in the next five to 10 years, as you pointed out, really will come from like, how do we unlock new data on which to train machines and which to feed into AI systems to gather new insight? So let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing to kind of create or unlock that signal in that new data. Right. Actually, it might be helpful. Maybe I'll, I'll paint kind of a picture of how I see the AI landscape today. You know, AI and batteries, both front and center topics these days. In AI, there's a ton of buzz lately around these so-called large language models. Um, these are machine learning models that operate on natural, natural language, and they've recently gotten quite good and are really capturing people's sort of attention and imagination, you know, ChatGPT mm. in particular. So fundamentally, any AI system, including these, the developments are the product of two key factors. There's the improvements in algorithms. In particular, there's the transformer architecture that's enabling a lot of these large language models. We also use this at Chemix for other applications, but also the available massive amounts of data and then the computing resources needed to train the models on that data. So it's really algorithms plus data, right? That's AI. You need both. If you just have one, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Recently, algorithms have gotten very good for these language models, but I think people have been sort of, yeah, not as quick to realize the importance of data, um, but this is becoming more widely appreciated. I mean, just a sort of current example, anyone who's used ChatGPT has probably experienced the disclaimer message that gives, you know, explaining that it hasn't been trained on anything since 2021, so it can't answer any questions <laughs> that require current knowledge. So this is like an immediate, you know, obvious uh, issue. And so I think we're actually going to see a bunch of companies doing like AI for X, right? Sure. And they're going to take some of these large language models or other AI technologies and then fine tune them on proprietary application specific data sets, sets of X uh, so that their models can be used to answer questions about X could be healthcare, could be law, specific scientific fields or areas of technology, and, you know, even batteries. And so it's really the data that's holding these applications back. And so what we're doing at Chemix, as I mentioned, is kind of designing the experimental systems and experimental approaches from the ground up to generate this lots of high quality data. So that's really quite different from adding AI on as a sort of something slapped on on top, but really, you know, <laughs> designing the processes for this application for day one. And I mean, if you think about battery data, what does it look like? It's extremely high dimensional. That's the thing. There's mm -hmm. a huge number of, of inputs, right? There's, you know, precise combinations of materials that are being used. There's precise recipes for how to mix them and how to process them. And then there's a huge number of these outputs I mentioned, which are the performance metrics. How fast can you charge it? How many times can you charge it and discharge it before it runs out of, um, before it degrades too much? Right. And so mapping out, you know, generating data sets that actually allow you to answer some of these questions requires recording an enormous number of factors, keeping very tight control over the experimental conditions, and really just recording everything, which is really quite different from how a human-based battery development process works, where a lot of the information is sort of intuitively just in someone's head, in some a research scientist's head. They don't write it all down, they don't record it all, but they just sort of know the context, which means they can work with that. But it means that passing that information to someone else or leveraging it for a new battery chemistry or a new type of design is very challenging. Got it. So it sounds like you all are setting up a number of discrete kind of experiments, if you will, very specific settings to both run experiments and then capture and make all this data available. Paint a picture of what, you know, maybe an example of that that looks like, because I have sort of an idea of what it might look like in my head, but I imagine it might not actually <laughs> represent the way it looks inside your right inside where you're working. Right. That's one thing to mention. I mean, yeah, so we have our own we have our own lab. We do all of our own lab experiments. Mm. Chemix is really this fundamental combination of 
you know, software and data science and machine learning expertise with the hands-on chemistry um, and material science. So what this looks like is essentially doing huge numbers of tests of different battery materials and actual batteries made from those materials. So combining them in many different ways, trying out many different combinations, seeing how they perform, and then having that data automatically uploaded to our data pipelines, automatically processed every day. And then the next day, when people come in, new experiment designs have been generated automatically of what mm. tweaks, what combinations of materials, what processing conditions should be tried next in search of making the performance that we're seeing match the performance that we're targeting for specific applications. Got it. So we'll have multiple battery designs in the pipeline at once. And, you know, there'll be a set of designs designed for application A, a set of designs for application B, a set of designs for application C, and then people will come in and make these experiments, run the experiments, and then the whole process repeats. And this happens every day. And this happens um, sort of without, you know, manual human intervention in between. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're getting started. We've been doing this for just a little while, just, just about two years. And we're constantly what we call AI-ifying more and more <laughs> aspects of the battery development process. So making more and more of it, this autonomous brain that's designing the experiments to basically further increase the boundary of what the performance is that we can get. Got it. And at this stage, kind of at the beginning, when you're thinking about, because I, I know that some of this is also, as you said, like the AI itself starts recommending what the next uh, phase of experimentation could look like. But as a fundamental input, are you primarily working with companies that have kind of like a desired application for which they'd like a battery or specific kind of criteria that they'd like to improve to set up some of those initial experiments? Or is a lot of it also driven just based off of the team's understanding and intuition around what would potentially be valuable for, for future clients? Yeah, it's a good question. We'd like to be very customer driven. We talk directly and work directly with companies that make electric vehicles. And we understand exactly what the pain points that are that they have mm. with the vehicle that they already have or the vehicle that they're trying to develop and where current off-the-shelf battery solutions fall short. Mm. We talk to companies that are working on kind of similar segments. We hear similar problems. And then we talk to companies working in other segments. We hear other problems. <laughs> and essentially, we're always optimizing the products that we're making for the particular pain points that we're hearing. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, if a customer wants, you know, specific, you know, they're not as concerned about cycle life, but they're really concerned about minimizing weight and volume. Mm -hmm. That's one kind of design, one kind of campaign, if you will, for battery performance improvement. And then another customer might be really concerned about the cycle life and the longevity of the battery and is maybe less concerned about cost, for example. So there are mm -hmm. a number of these applications. Yeah. And I'd be curious if you already kind of mentioned a couple of different things that EV manufacturers or producers might be thinking about in that in some of those examples there. But what are some of the more common pain points that it seems like a lot of folks are bumping up against? Because I think we're in a moment where people are starting to recognize that sort of the S-curve level of adoption of EVs is starting. But when I talk to folks that make batteries or work in battery manufacturing or, or even kind of on the transportation end, there's obviously no shortage of stuff that folks are still trying to improve and figure out. So I'd be curious what some of the common threads that you're consistently hearing from folks are. Yeah, there's kind of two angles to this. Mm. One is... There's an existing off-the-shelf battery that does XYZ, and then there's an existing off-the-shelf battery that does ABC, but I really want X, B, and Z, right? Mm. So it's almost this interpolation of, you know, design me something that's specific for my application because the existing off-the-shelf solutions really aren't optimized for it. Mm. But then I would say at the end of the day, this 
never ends, right? Because batteries are sort of the heart of the vehicle. They really impact how it performs, how people interact with it, and how people use it. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, companies always want to have better batteries than their competitors so that their vehicles are more attractive. So, you know, there's this kind of this first step of designing batteries that are sort of tailored to specific applications through sort of an interpolation of what already can be done, but with, with improvements. And then there's this next step of then taking that and making it better and better and better and better according to those performance metrics. And so we really start with the former and then we get into the, into the second, mm -hmm. um, but it really, there's no sort of end in sight. So some common examples, yeah, like I said, would be, you know, I want a battery that gives me long range, but also lets me accelerate very quickly and charge very quickly when I want to. Other examples would be, you know, I want something that's really rugged. I want it to be able to handle, you know, high temperatures. Maybe it's going to be operated in some part of the world where it's very, very warm all of the time, and it just needs to last for long periods of time in those conditions. And it needs to be cost effective, but, you know, it doesn't need to have like super long range or super high power. So these are the kinds of things that come up. And I imagine, you know, you're already working with a lot of dimensions, but if I may add another, <laughs> I imagine one that might also be important is there's the like end product, the finished battery itself, but then there's also like the manufacturing of it. And I feel like a lot of times there's people don't always necessarily appreciate how difficult it can be to manufacture a lot of batteries to spec at scale. And so is that something that a lot of folks come to you too with like, we're having problems with this specific component of the battery in manufacturing, even before it's net product. And like, how do we make that less of an issue? Is that something that y'all think about as well? Right. Yeah. The manufacturing is an extremely important point. There's no shortage of sort of promises for new battery materials in mm. the world today. But the problem, which, you know, they'll have great specs on paper and get customers <laughs> really excited. But the problem with a lot of them is that it will be extremely hard to manufacture them reliably with high quality at scale and with reasonable cost. If you have to completely redesign the battery manufacturing process to make a particular design or a particular material work, mm. well, that's clearly going to add years and you know, billions of dollars to the development right. cycle. So it's not that none of these technologies in this particular category that I'm describing will make it. It's just that most customers want something that works now. They need a vehicle on the road next year or the year after that. They're being feeling immense pressure to electrify from their customers, from governments, from you know society in general. They don't want to wait around for something that looks great, but will take forever. Mm. So this is certainly a key aspect. And we really kind of focus our design space on technologies, battery chemistries, and designs that can be made with existing manufacturing equipment mm. because we want to be able to uh, make a difference quickly. And yes, it requires some fine-tuning and some optimization of various aspects of the process, and we can help with that. But at the end of the day, we're not trying to reinvent a manufacturing process. We're not trying to yeah, work on materials that, that nobody knows how to make today. Yeah, interesting. And that kind of leads me into a, another question that I was curious to pick your brain about. And, uh, you know, I'm not really trying to be like the Luddite out here, but there's so much hype around AI and what's possible. And I think we've introduced a lot of different interesting dimensions with respect to batteries where new data plus the algorithms, as you mentioned, can be a really big boon in making discoveries or incremental improvements or subcombination of the two. Are there specific things about whether it's battery R&D, battery manufacturing, that you feel like at this point, AI, especially in the context of your company, doesn't lend itself that well to? Like, what are some of the limitations where you would caution people about being like, okay, like, we're not quite ready to, to look at that piece of the come of the equation yet? Right. I think actually, it might be helpful for answering this 
to, if I kind of paint a picture of what aspects of battery development are really challenging and why they're challenging, and then it'll sort of see, become clear where AI comes in and where it doesn't. Excellent. So fundamentally, battery development is traditionally very time-consuming and labor-intensive and capital-intensive. And there's a few reasons for this. I mean, first of all, batteries are just really complicated. <laughs> a typical battery contains dozens of active and inactive materials, and they're all in very precise proportions. They're all made with a very specific recipe. Um, and it's essentially nearly impossible to predict from first principles how a tweak to a battery design will impact that battery performance. Because the system is just really highly coupled and highly complex, almost like a biological system. Second of all, there's a nearly infinite design space of possible materials that you could use uh, in the development of different components of the battery. So deciding which experiments to do and in which order is really quite daunting. And the picture I'm painting actually sounds a lot like the process for discovering a new drug. It's kind of similar. Sure. Interesting. But the third thing that's kind of unique to batteries is that battery testing takes a really long time, especially some of the performance metrics like cycle life, where you really just have to charge and discharge <laughs> the batteries over and over again. And Thousands it can take months. Yeah. yeah, exactly, to figure out how long they're going to last. So essentially, the picture I'm, I'm painting is this black box system with a large number of inputs, the materials, the proportions, the recipes, and a large number of outputs, the performance metrics like cycle life. And the goal is to systematically correlate the inputs to the outputs so we can figure out how to design a battery for this specific performance. And this type of optimization problem, it's very high dimensional and it's very challenging for a human because you basically have to hold huge amounts of information at your head at <laughs> once. But it's actually quite well suited to a computer that can just crunch all the numbers, you know, and look at all of the data that's been collected and all the experiments that have been run all at once. Uh -huh. So any kind of problem that fits into the description I just gave uh -huh. is a good one for AI to solve. Ones at the very beginning of the design process. For example, you know, what should be the form factor here? Is it a cylindrical cell? Is it a pouch cell like in your laptop or your phone? Is it a prismatic sort of hard case cell? Mm. Those kind of questions, you don't have this massive design space. There's only a few different options, mm. right? So that makes sense to kind of just figure out based on you know, engineering. Human expertise, yeah. Right, exactly. And working with the customer in terms of what's even going to fit inside their pack, what's going to fit inside their vehicle, what kind of cooling systems are they using? Uh, is going to affect what kind of cell it can be used. And so there's questions like that. The other types of questions that are well-suited for human part of the design process is high-level questions about category of chemistry. For example, high nickel NMC is a particular variant or a non-lithium containing chemistry like sodium ion. Choosing whether or not to use one of these can sort of be done uh, manually. It doesn't require AI to do it. But as soon as you get to the next step of the design process, which is, okay, I've narrowed down what kind of battery format, I've narrowed down the high level of what chemistry it's going to be, actually figuring out exactly what the precise ratios of all the different materials are, that's where you want to start using AI and the processing conditions for assembling that thing and putting it all together. So it's really sort of like a funnel. At the top, you can guide the process based on fundamental constraints from the vehicle and fundamental properties of different battery formats and chemistries. But as soon as you get further in than that, you have to leverage another tool. Mm. And unfortunately, before being able to leverage this tool, this is where a lot of the, the discussion stops and electric vehicle companies end up just having to use off-the-shelf solutions based only on the first few layers of the funnel. Right. So that's where you all come in. Right. Switching exactly. gears a little bit, I'm curious how the business model works for Chemex today and whether that's you know going to be pretty consistent for the foreseeable future, or whether that's also something that might evolve with the, as the business grows. Right. So we think it's extremely valuable to be connected to the end use of the batteries. So this is why 
because we need to know how the batteries need to perform, mm. right? We need to know the specs of the vehicle. We need to know how the pack's going to be designed. And ultimately, you can't design customized battery solutions without that information. So we do need to talk to the end user of the battery. So we work exactly directly with the electric vehicle manufacturers. And then we actually sell the batteries as the product. Got it. We figure out all of the details of, again, the recipes, the precise ratios of the materials, the processing conditions. And then we figure out how to get those things manufactured using existing manufacturing capability. We handle the quality control and other things of that sort. And then give the end customer the thing they really want, which is the battery that they can put into their vehicle. That's the business model. And can produce reliably at scale, as we hit on earlier. Exactly. Yeah, that's very important. So we have to make sure we're working with top tier battery manufacturers to get these batteries made at scale. And we have to work with the, yeah, basically all of the people in the value chain to make this happen. And we're kind of orchestrating this entire process using the AI capability. Yeah. And you all are in a super interesting position because there is additionally, in addition to AI, there's so much um, emphasis and focus and investment in building out new battery manufacturing capacity and, and kind of onshore, basically trying to like onshore a supply chain that hasn't existed previously in, in the US and Europe, but big strides are being made to make that happen. I'm kind of, we can start kind of zoomed out, you know, how have you seen or what are some of the thoughts that's triggered for you in watching a lot of companies commit to bringing in more battery production capacity in the US over the past year? I imagine it's quite a good sign for the business. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious how you kind of see that and, and what some of the things that it sparked for you all are. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to need just a whole lot more batteries. So <laughs> more battery production anywhere in the world, everywhere in the world is extremely good to see. And certainly US is part of this. But I would say that the battery manufacturers that are building battery manufacturing capability and creating new factories, you know, they're really, really good at making high volume, high quality batteries with you know reliability, mm -hmm. but they're not as suited for the customization and the rapid iterations and the rapid development cycles that you really need to enable the other big driving force, which is electrification of all kinds of mode of transport. Mm -hmm. So at the same time as battery manufacturers are scaling up production for existing battery technologies and selling things off the shelf, all of these new EV companies and electrifications of new sectors of transportation are creating a demand for these tailored solutions. So I think it's pretty clear that the existing battery manufacturers and new companies that are solely focused on battery manufacturing are not going to be able to move fast enough mm -hmm. to satisfy all of those requirements. Yeah. And again, that's where a company like Chemix comes in. We can leverage battery manufacturers for doing what they know how to do really well, which is mass production. And then we can help fill the gap and map that mass production capability to the end users that need the optimized batteries. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like we're already playing catch up in a sense to be able to produce, you know, enough of the EVs that are already on the market today at the scale that is like increasingly coming and the consumer demand that's increasingly coming. So it makes sense that they, those, you know, Ford, for instance, doesn't necessarily have the capital or the time even to focus on R&D as much as, as someone like you all might be able to help them do. Yeah, I think it really makes sense for companies to do what they're good at. And for the large manufacturing companies, like that is what they should do. And that is how they're going to have the biggest impact because we absolutely just need more batteries. Mm -hmm. But it's just not going to, the industry is not going to take off and scale in the way we want it to if there's not the other side, which is the optimization and improvement of battery performance and 
slotting it into an exit to new applications that are coming online all the time. Yeah. I guess once in a while, like I didn't really read into it in that that great of detail, but I saw a press release or something from Cattle about like new like sodium ion pack they produced recently or were bringing to market for the first time. So maybe I mean I get, I'm sure there's you know these companies still do do R and D, but perhaps that's I mean you know for all I know they probably worked with someone else to develop that themselves too before bringing it to mass production. But right, they do R and D, but they're doing R and D in this more traditional you know, human centric kind of labor intensive way that I was describing mm-hmm. earlier. And what is very challenging for them to do is kind of reinvent the R and D process, reinvent the company <laughs> culture to be much more data driven, much more software driven and kind of, yeah, completely change how they're doing things. So they'll continue doing R and D in the way that they've done it historically, right? That's going to happen. But the thesis at Chemex is that the A, that's going to be too slow mm-hmm. and B, it's not going to be wide ranging enough. It's not mm-hmm. going to cover enough use cases. They may do R&D focused on a very specific application that they have in mind and sort of nothing else. Yeah, got it. That makes sense. You know, so that's their challenge. And I imagine for you, one challenge in and of itself will be keeping up with potential demand and all of the different manufacturers that you could conceivably work with. But I'm curious, you know, what else when I ask sort of what keeps you up at night or what's challenging over the next one, three, five years, what are the things that come to mind? Sure. Well, in the short term, I mean, we need to get vehicles on the road using Chemex batteries for our early <laughs> customers. These are customers that have been working with us for quite a while. And, you know, we're really excited to have an impact quickly and to demonstrate that what we're doing is real and what we're doing actually matters on rapid timescale. Right. So that's certainly top priority in the short term. In the longer term, I think things are going to get interesting with supply chains and with all this increased demand for kind of the same materials, the same minerals over and over again, the prices for those things are going to go up. We've already seen this happen. It's going to be quite unstable. And it's really going to be important to unlock newer chemistries that don't rely on exactly the same combinations of materials that have been used before. So the good news is this is a strength of what we're doing that we can work on many different chemistries and applications at once. But I think this is really critical if the industry is really going to take off in the way we want it to. And so that's certainly something that, that we're thinking about kind of in that, yeah, longer term time scale. The, many of these chemistries we're already working on and they are already um, certainly sufficient for um, some applications, but there's going to need more development for other applications. Yeah, that's such an interesting interplay in material constraint where, you know, if you get cobalt's a good example where it's not just price or availability of it, but also human rights concerns where once there's a significant enough of a pinch, that almost turns into like a catalyst to just start using other chemistries. You see a decent amount of manufacturers at least moving to or talking about using LFP batteries instead so that they don't need to use cobalt. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting to, from a pessimistic perspective, you can say we're going to be critically constrained across all these different minerals. And then I guess the most optimistic take is like when the constraint comes, that is the catalyst for new discovery or new change, but definitely something interesting to keep tracking. Um all right, Jason, it has been a pleasure. I always like to end by asking, you know, what's next for you all and Chemex? And then also, who would you be excited to hear from that might be listening in and is interested in what you're doing? And, and third piece, finally, is where can folks keep up with your work and follow along? Yeah, what's next, I think, is for now more of the same. It's <laughs> really delivering these batteries to our customers and continuing to expand the capability of, of what we can do. I think in terms of how to, you know, who would want to hear from, Certainly electric vehicle manufacturers who are finding that current off-the-shelf batteries are not exactly sufficient for what they're building. It'd be great to hear from people like that. And then also from people for whom the story and kind of the pain points associated with the slow pace 
of traditional battery development resonates. I think there are definitely a lot of people out there who have been through this themselves and we're working on a different way to do this. And also people who are interested in AI, but don't necessarily want to work on, you know, chatbots and <laughs> personal assistants, but want to contribute to the climate crisis, resolving the climate crisis. Yeah, that'd be great. Excellent. And good place for folks to follow along, keep up with your work. You can just go to chemix.ai and you can also just find me on LinkedIn. That's a good way to to follow us and get in touch. Fantastic. All right. Well, I look forward to uh, to chatting again in six months or a year and celebrating some of the accomplishments that I'm sure will will have come to fruition by that. But uh, it's been great. Thanks for coming on, Jason. Awesome. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks, Nick. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in. So you don't miss the next episode on another cutting edge climate tech. Make sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And to get even deeper, you can sign up for my newsletter on workweek.com. We'll see you soon.